took me a long time, but I have finally seen that the only path to victory is through defeat. I am coming to the end of myself. I surrender. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Hope you're enjoying your weekend so far. What a what an incredible. How about that weather? I just uh, I got a text just minutes ago from one of my friends who pastors in Minnesota, and uh, the uh, the the text said this said Merry Christmas, and he's he's texting from the church building where they're at, and it's just snow everywhere. And as I saw that, I said, Lord, who am I that you would allow me to live in paradise? You know, <laughs> it's great to be here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from one of the venues here or at an off-site campus or maybe on the internet. Maybe you don't live in paradise. We're glad you get a little glimpse of it this morning, but uh, we're, we're glad you're here with us. Now, would it be okay if I asked you a personal question this morning? Okay, just kind of dig just a little bit. Here it is. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie to get out of a tough spot? Anybody? Anybody over here at this section? There's a bunch of liars right back there in the back. Okay. All right, let's do it again. How have you done that? Okay. All right. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you, have you done it today? What I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a little, little confession. Okay, small confession time. All right, last weekend I wasn't here. Those of you who are here know that. I was in Colorado Springs. Uh, Brady Boyd and I decided that we would switch pulpits the week after Easter, frankly, so we could rest and wouldn't have to study for another message. So each of us actually did our Easter message from the week before. Uh, he did it here, and I did one at New Life in Colorado Springs. And so when I go to Colorado, usually I'll go like a day early and, um, and maybe spend a little bit of time in the mountains because it just, you know, I grew up there, and it's kind of soothing for my soul. And so I was by myself, so I, uh, I flew in on Friday night, and on Saturday, well, they didn't have a Saturday night service, so I just went up in the mountains just a little bit. And I didn't go very far. I went to... Um, Idaho Springs, which is about 30 minutes outside of Denver, and just kind of hung around. And as I, as I was driving, I came over the hill. You come over a, a hill to come down into Idaho Springs. And just like about halfway down the hill, uh, the speed limit changed to 55 from 65. And, um, and, and there was a greeter there from Idaho Springs uh, right behind the sign. Okay. And sure enough, you know, I mean, it wasn't obvious or anything. I mean, I stepped on the brake so hard I did a nosedive like this. <laughs> and so I slow down, and he comes out behind me, a policeman from Idaho Springs. And, and he doesn't turn it on his lights right away. And it's so funny. Me and the guy next to me, we're both doing exactly 55, you know, just, just right here. I, I kind of look over at him and go, you know, like this. And, and, uh, but my heart's beating because I'm, I'm trying to calculate what the insurance is going to cost me on this deal, although I haven't had a ticket in a long time. And uh, so, sure enough, red lights come on, and he pulls me over. And as he's coming to the window, I'm thinking about what you say. You know, I don't know, I've got a lot of friends here that are policemen, but the deal is this. When you talk to a policeman, you sound like you're lying, regardless of whether you are or not. Because you start pronunciating things really precise, like you, yes, sir, Mr. Officer, sir. You know, like, you never talk like that, but you do to a policeman. You sound guilty before you even start talking. 
And then I'm thinking, here's what he's going to do. He's going to ask me, because I know what the question is. Last time I got stopped was, do you know how fast you're going? Which is a wonderful opportunity to lie, right? I mean, yeah. uh, currently, right now, I was doing 55, you know, but whatever. But he didn't. And he comes in and um, he says, uh, um, he said, do you realize that the speed limit um, was 65 before, but it was 55, and you were doing 71 in a 55? Well, I can be honest with you, I felt pretty good about that. That was like <laughs> six over what it fit 65, so that wasn't too. You guys figure those same things, don't you? <laughs> yeah, where do you set the cruise control at, you know? And so I, I said, yes, sir, okay, okay sir, I, I don't doubt that. And uh, he said, could I have your driver's license and registration? And so I gave him the driver's license, and it was a rental car, so I had to find the, he said, it's a rental car, right? And I said, yeah, it's over here, so I got it to him. And uh, and he looks at my license, and he said, Charleston, South Carolina, or Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, is that close to Charleston? I'm thinking, this could be good. I said, yeah, it's right close. It's right there. It's just like, yeah. you ever been to Charleston? And, yeah, as a matter of fact, I went to the Border Patrol School and some of that kind of stuff. I said, great, it's a great place. You know, just smile, be nice, you know. And uh, th then he said, uh, are, you, uh, are you on vacation here? And here's where, here's where the dilemma came. Because I, I, you know, I didn't know how to answer that. And it bugs me that I, I didn't know how to answer that. Because I'm thinking, okay, is that a good thing or a bad thing, you know? And so, and, and I knew I'm actually working on the weekend preaching. Uh, but I don't want to tell him I'm a preacher because that's cheesy, you know? Yeah, I'm a man of God here preaching, you know, just in a hurry to get there, you know. And may, maybe you could cut me a break, you know. That, I got friends that do that stuff. And so I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And so I said, the question was, are you on vacation? I said, today I am. And he said, okay. So he went back to his car and he ran all the numbers and all, whatever they do back there. And he came back and he gave me my license and he didn't have another piece of paper, which I felt great about. And he said, I never give tickets to people who are on vacation. I said, I'd love to kiss you. I didn't say this. I don't want to exaggerate here. But I, I felt like kissing him on the lips. You know, I really did. Because I'm, I'm thinking, that is wonderful. And so we exchanged pleasantry. He actually gave me... Uh, his card, I'm going to send him a box of pralines from Charleston about how nice he was. But, but, but as I drove away, I felt so conflicted. It's like, did I tell him the truth or did I not? Now, that's for you guys to, actually, it's not. It's for God to judge. You guys back off. But <laughs> was that deceptive or was it not? And I really, I mean, I wrestled with that for the better part of the day uh, because, because I'm so prone like you are to, you know, when I'm in trouble, to default to a, an answer that maybe isn't as, as uh, well, I'm not as bad as you guys are. I'm a lot further along than you are. But we all raised our hand, didn't we? Have you ever, the question was, told a lie to get out of a tough spot? Lies are like weeds. In, uh, in your grass right now in the spring, there's almost an endless variety. Let's see if we can count some of them. There's white lies. We all, know, we all are familiar with white lies. They're called the least serious. And we do it so, 
We, we do it in order to be tactful, and we take it to an art form in the South. It, we really do. We, Y'all come back. It's a white lie. You don't want them to come back. <laughs> you know, so good to see you. Yeah, right. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. Here's one, big time, packed with white lies. Well, bless her heart. No, 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 no. You're not blessing anybody's heart. There's a story behind bless your, bless your heart. There always, there always is. Um, the problem is with white lies, you know, even tactful ones, um, is you lose your credibility over time. Because people tend to see you as somebody that you don't shoot square. You know, you... Even though it's tactful at times, you, you lose a certain sense of credibility. Now, there are exceptions to that when a lie is probably a good thing. That's when you're married, okay, and, and, and it's like this. And only in certain situations. Uh, if your wife says to you guys, I'm going to help you here. If your wife looks at a, an attractive woman and she says, do you think she's pretty? It doesn't matter what you think. The answer is no. Um, or, it, or this. This is even better. She's certainly not as pretty as you are. That, that's good. <clears throat> or when she says, how do I look in this? Okay? It doesn't matter how she looks. All right? The, in fact, I was reading something on the internet, the kid, how kids, the kids' uh, rules of marriage or something, I don't, I don't know what it was, but little Ricky says this. He's age 10. He says, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. That's a, <clears throat> that's a good idea. Okay? So those are about the only situations that white lies are good. All right, let's go on. Broken promises are lies. Broken promises are lies. We commit to do something, but we don't follow through. And we do it, you know, regularly, and it's, it's lying. I mean, you do it with your kids. I'll, I'll be there. I'll do that. And you don't follow through. And what they see is a broken promise, a lie. What's even, uh, I don't know if it's worse, it's similar, is when you, when you never had an intention to do it in the first place. And yet you promise to go to the party, you promise to be there, you, I'll do this, and you, you never had an intention. It's a lie. It's a lie. That's what it is. A fabrication is a lie. Fabrication is telling others something that you don't know for sure is true. It's, um, it's saying something about somebody else, you know, did you hear? Or, you know, and you, you don't know if it's true or not, but you say it anyway. And that type of lie actually can steal another person's reputation. Okay, so that's a, that's a lie. Or, you know, a bold-faced lie. Just, I mean, it's just flat, bold-faced lie. I heard about four sophomores at Duke University who were taking organic chemistry and uh, real smart kids. And they, they did, you know, so well on the midterms and, you know, all the tests and all that that they figured that they didn't need to study much for the final so that the weekend before the final, they decided to go up to UVA up in Charlottesville and party just a little bit. And so they had some friends up there. So they went up and, you know, they partied on Saturday and and uh, slept all day Sunday. In fact, they slept through the time they were supposed to go back, and they couldn't make it in time, and, and uh, they, they got back just as the finals were, were ending. And so they went into the, to the professor, the chemistry professor, and they said, you know, we went to Charlottesville. We had plenty of time coming back, but we had a flat tire on the way home. And um, it, was, it took forever to get a tow truck there, and we didn't have a spare and all this kind of stuff. And would you mind if we took the test tomorrow? Could we do that? We've got to have the final. And the professor said, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. So they came in the next day. And uh, what the professor did is he gave them uh, the test in two pages. said, don't look at the second page. Do the first one first. And set them in four different rooms where they, they, they were entirely separated. 
And the first question was just an easy, easy chemistry question. Anybody would know it. It's for five points. It said five points. And so in each of the rooms, they probably said, cool, this is going to be okay. And then they turned a page to the second question, and it had one question on it for 95 points. Um, which tire? How <laughs> you know that's a bummer, huh? That's a bummer. Because bold-faced lies, listen to me, they always catch up to you. They're going to. So why tell them in the first place? You are going to pay for a bold-faced lie. And then there's exaggerations, exaggerations, where we embellish stories, we exaggerate, enhance the truth by adding lies to it to make yourself look better. You just exaggerate. Somebody tells a story, you know, or, or you're telling a story, and it just gets better and better every time you tell it, you know. And I like to say you never were as good as you used to be. You, you know what I'm saying? It just builds and builds and builds. It's a lie. It's a lie. Or deception, deception. That's what I was worried about myself in this situation is that a deceiver tries to create an impression that causes others to be misled by not telling all of the facts. You tell some of the facts, but not all of the facts. And so here's, here's the question. If we all lie, why is it such a big deal? I mean, we just accept it as a part of life. Well, there, there, are, there are some reasons. First of all, lying undermines your integrity. It just does. It undermines your integrity. Let me give you a name, Lance Armstrong. How do you feel? A year ago, we all loved Lance Armstrong. He's a champion for America. He um, overcame cancer. And he creates this, this organization called Live Strong, and they uh, give millions of dollars to cancer research. He's an American hero. And he, he admits to lying, and a lot of people, it, because it was about to catch up to him, and today he's one of the most despised athletes that we know of. Lance Armstrong is, you think of him, you think of, of a lie. Uh, now, you may never be Lance Armstrong, but lying will undermine your integrity. There'll be a ball and chain uh, around your neck. There, when you lie, and usually when you lie, you add another lie to it at some point to, to cover the last one. It's just a continuing thing. Uh, you live in fear of being caught. Abraham Lincoln said one time, no man has a good enough memory to make a successful liar. Lying undermines your integrity. Um, bigger than that, though, really, honestly, it destroys community. It destroys community. See, trust is the glue that holds together any, any community. Uh, two friends, three friends, uh, a team, um, a workplace, a marriage, even a country. It's trust that's the glue that holds together community. And lying, even if it's small white lies over and over again, or some form of deception, it chips away at community until finally, finally we, don't, we don't have it. And if you've ever been lied to, you know exactly what that feels like. That's why in Proverbs 6, lying makes the top seven list of things that God hates. I don't know about you, I do not want to be practicing anything on the top seven things that God hates. I want God on my side. I, I want him to, I, I want the wind in my sails, not against me. And in Proverbs 6, 16, it says there are six things that the Lord hates. No seven. It's like, I, I love this verse because it's like the guy's writing, there's six things. He didn't, they didn't have erasers back then or he'd have just gone like this guy. No, there's seven. No, he just, there's six things. No, there's, there's actually seven that he tests. Haughty eyes, 
a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord uh, in a family. I think that's the seventh one he kind of added in there. He says, no, that's really bad too. It's somebody that sows discord in, in a community, in a family. You know, and as we look at that, most of us would say, well, I, I don't shed blood. Try not to, you know, be proud, to have this proud look or whatever. Um, and we go through and we kind of eliminate most of them, but a lying tongue, we all just raised our hands. That we lie from time to time, we have. And the Bible says that's something that God absolutely hates. Now, why does he hate it? Because it undermines your integrity and it destroys community. And God has a plan for each one of us. We talk about that a lot around here. Big plans. He's got plans that are good. That He's got plans for a future for you. And, and it's, a plan, it's a part of the redemption plan of Jesus to restore all things. Uh, and when we lie and, and it uh, uh, undermines our integrity and destroys community, then the plan of God can't go forward. And so God hates lies. Now we're starting a new series this weekend called White Flag. And what we're doing is we're going to talk about several things that we need to raise a white flag on. That we need to quit. That we need to surrender. And, and what we're going to do is we're taking the series from Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 25 through 31, which lists several things that God says, don't do this. Quit doing this. Now, in order to understand the series and why God says it, you've got you've to kind of see the context that the scriptures are in. There's this list of things that he says, wave the flag on, quit, quit, surrender, you can't do this. But it's all within the context of community. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, uh, in, uh, in the New Living Translation, it kind of has headings, and um, the subtitle headings are, for the first part of the chapter, is unity in the church. He says, I want unity in the church because I have a great mission for the church. You need to be focused and unified. And the second half of the chapter says, how do you live that out? It's living as children of the light. And so what I want to do is I want to read just a few verses that will set up our series, and then I want to take the one verse we're going to look at today and make two or three comments about it, okay? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and let me just read a little bit. It's on your outline sheet. It said, with the Lord's authority, Paul says, I say this, live no longer as your Facebook friends do, okay? (laughs) You don't know what Gentiles means? That translated today, it's your Facebook friends, okay? Some of them. He says, for they are hopelessly confused. Do you have any Facebook friends that are hopelessly confused? Okay, there you go. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I'd like you to circle that sentence. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. See, your new nature. God's created you to be, it's to be like God. You're to be loving and pure 
truthful in everything you do. We're created in Christ Jesus to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so the next verse is verse 25, and that's what we're going to focus on. I'd like us to read that one out loud. It's the first verse in our series, White Flag. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Stop telling lies. If we're going to be the community that God has had it, uh, called us to be, we've got to throw up the white flag on lying. Got to surrender. It's over. It's done. Not going to lie anymore. Stop telling lies. Now, I grew up in a church that I, I can remember, and it was a good church, but I, I can remember when they talk about something like this, they just preach, don't lie, you're going to go to hell if you lie. <laughs> then they start saying, I surrender all, and we'd come down to the front. Okay. But my question was always this, how? How? I know my own self, and I know when I get in a tight place, I'm going to be tempted to lie. How do you stop lying? Or I knew that that I, I, I was living in deception or living in a bold-faced lie at the time. How do I get out of this? How? So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you about how we can stop lying because we're all in this together. How can we stop? Here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to admit that you've got a problem. You're never going to change until you admit that you have a problem. You've got to stop making excuses for bad choices. Benjamin Franklin said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Would you agree with that? You know that guy at work. Okay. The Proverbs says this. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. I love that. I love that. You can't be successful if you just shine people on and you say, well, you know, whatever, make excuses. But if you admit it and confess it, you get another chance. So, who do we admit to? Who do we admit to? First, thing, first one's obvious. We admit it to God. Say, God, I, I've lied. Or, God, I, I have a, this temptation to brag, you know, or, or to drop names or to exaggerate. You know, those are all lies. God, I've got this. I, help me with it. I, I'm going to admit it, that I've got it. The Bible says, obviously, in 1 John 1, 9, says if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's why every weekend at Seacoast we have crosses. And most times we use the crosses to confess sin because uh, w- when you do, God forgives you. I mean, you don't have to go to a cross, but it's, a, it's an incredible visual of, now this week hardly anybody goes to the cross because nobody wants to admit that I'm a liar. Okay? But y'all are, everybody is. Just fess up and go, you know what, God, I don't want to do this. I don't ever want to lie again. No matter, you know, what the situation. We confess, God forgives us. But it shouldn't stop there. If you really want to really live a, a life uh, that's like God, that truly righteous and holy, then you're going to need some trusted friends to help you. And so you need to confess to some trusted friends, no matter how big or small the problem is. The goal is zero tolerance. Paul says, stop telling lies. Um, you know, over the last few months, uh, we had a series, Make Room, where uh, I, I think 1,100 people stepped up to lead small groups. And, and um, some of you, for the first time, were part of a small group. Some of you, uh, you know, had kind of been away for a while. One of the things that I hope happens 
is that you experience a little bit of community. And one of the ways you're going to experience community is when you get two or three people or maybe four or five people together and you just make an admission. And I, and I hope you do this. hope you do it on every one of this, the, the next few weeks when we talk about white flags, things that we need to give up on. Uh, because if you don't, it'll never stick. It won't last. Um, where maybe you get together and you go, you know what? When such and such happens, I tend to exaggerate. And I really want you to help me with that. And you know what will happen if you do? You'll have me too moments that create community. Somebody else will go, me too. <laughs> you know, I thought I was the only one. Me too, me too, me too. And it may be more serious than if there's levels of seriousness. I think there, there is because sometimes your lie impacts other people's lives in incredible ways. But as you, as you confess it to your friends, you confess to God, God forgives you, you confess to your friends in order to help you go forward and move forward. And say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to live in this. I don't want to, you'll never get there on your own. And then you, you confess to God, you confess to a group of friends, and I'm hoping that really happens during this series. Uh, you confess to those who you lied to. You admit it, who you lied to. If you're serious, you've got to do some work. Um, probably my heroes here at Seacoast Church, are those of you who have overcome drug addictions, uh, alcohol addictions, sexual addictions, addictions of any kind. You're my heroes. Okay, you're, you're, you're my heroes. Many of you have been through recovery programs like Celebrate Recovery Here or 12-step uh, programs, and I love the 12 steps. I, I just love them. I, in fact, I think all of us would do well to do a little research on the 12 steps because how many of you know we're all in recovery? Some of us, our sin has just gotten out ahead of us and, you know, we, we, we actually admit it and we're done well, but, but we're all in recovery from sin. And in the 12 steps, step number eight says this, I made a list of all persons that I had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Moral inventory. I made a list of everybody. And if you want to get through this in each one of these areas of surrender, this would be great. It'd be a great exercise for every one of us to sit down and say, who have I lied to? Is there anybody? Who have I bragged to? Who have I gone through each one of, you know, those areas of who do I tend to, you know, not be honest with? Who am I withholding, deceiving information from? And just kind of make a list and be willing to make amends. And then step nine is I made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. And I like that part of it. Because sometimes you need to just go to your friends, confess it, and leave it there. <laughs> I know I had uh, a lady in our church years ago who was a 12-stepper who was a, a, in recovery. And so once a year around November, December, she'd make an appointment with me to come in and make amends. Okay? And basically what she'd done was made a long list of things, stuff she didn't like about me. And... So she would come in and she would say, would you forgive me for my feelings toward you about this and about this and about this and about this? And honestly, when she left, she felt better and I felt terrible. <laughs> and I don't think that's how it was meant to be. You know, I, I just don't think so. So sometimes you need to just, you know, you, you need to be, use discretion about what, what you do. So if you're going to stop lying, you've got to admit that you have a problem. Here's the second thing you do. It's not just admit it, but you've got to ask God for help. You can't do this on your own. You've got to ask God for help. Help, 
help you identify the prevailing lie. There's several things you, you need God's help with. Help identifying the prevailing lie. You know, when I vote, when, when I exaggerate, there's a lie I'm believing that's causing me to act like that. Because I'm not believing the gospel, number one. The gospel says that, um, that God created the heavens and the earth as a beautiful place that man sinned, and uh, I am a man and I have sinned. Men and women. And he sent Jesus Christ uh, to die in my place so that I can be forgiven of all sin and cleansed from all unrighteousness. And God has a purpose for me. So I am, I am forgiven. All those things we talked about on Easter, about you were made for more. I'm forgiven. I, God has a purpose for me. He loves me just, just how I am. I'm secure uh, forever in his love when I come underneath his grace. And I'm not believing that when I'm lying because I'm, I'm usually uh, trying to make myself look better or uh, I'm in a situation where I feel like if I tell the truth, people won't like me or whatever. And I need to come to the place where I understand that God loves me and if you don't love me, dude, you got a problem. Because the God of the universe cares about me. And so I'm not as concerned about what you think as I'm concerned about what he thinks. And so I need to come to a place where I identify what is the prevailing lie that's driving my behavior. And God can help me uh, to do that. And also, uh, uh, you know, good Christian uh, spirit-filled books and um, uh, um, spirit-filled counselors and friends can help you identify uh, the lie that may be causing you to act in the ways that you do. I also need God's help in magnifying the consequences of a lie. You know, we talked about a couple of those, that it will destroy your credibility and it will destroy community. You know, I think a lot less people would make poor choices in life if they would stop and ask, what are the consequences going to be of what I say or what I'm about to do. You know, if you, if you thought about consequences, you would do some of the things that you do. I, I remember a friend recommended to me one time that what, what you need to do is you need to, to just write down the consequences of a moral failure. You need to write down the consequences of sin in any area of your life. So I did that. And I, I sat down and I wrote down the consequences. You know, if I, if I had a moral failure that this would happen, you know, I would dishonor God, um, it would totally destroy my wife, my kids wouldn't respect me, I'd lose my job, on and on and on and on and on. Wrote down uh, in, in some other areas, because this was an exercise I was asked to do. As I did that, I thought, you know what, if, if you would just think about what are the consequences of what you're about to do or say, it would head off a lot of grief in our lives. And so I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you just to, just to go before God and say, God, Magnify within me the consequences of not being totally truthful. Not being totally truthful. So, so how can you stop lying? You admit you've got a problem, you ask God to help. Let me give you one more that's more on the positive side. And that's practice truth-telling. Practice truth-telling. I want us to get really, really good at truth-telling. Um, in fact, if you want to get good at anything, you've got to practice that's why Tiger Woods is at the Masters today, and I'm here. 
is because he actually practices golf. You know, I read a book one time that really had an impact on me. It was by Malcolm Gladwell. It's not a Christian book. Um, it's called Outliers, and it studies why some people are really, really, really good at what they do in business, in sports, in music. And it's a very interesting book, fascinating. I'm going to give away the ending. Um, it's, it's not, it has very little to do with, you know, uh, opportunity, heritage, anything like that, natural talent. He said, if you want to be the best in the world, people who are the best in the world at something, put in 10,000 hours of practice. So if you want to be the best in the world, you put in 10,000 hours of practice, and you'll probably be up there somewhere. And so I thought about that this week. We ought to be the best in the world at truth-telling. And if we're going to be the best in the world at truth-telling, we got to practice. we got to practice. Sometimes the church hasn't been a safe place for practicing truth-telling. You know, we want to create an image. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm good. Everything's great, you know. You look nice. Well, you ought to say that probably, but... But there's kind of a falseness that goes about it, you know. And we need to get good at just telling the truth. And so, and so, and so commit to your friends. I'm going to tell the truth. I, I want you to watch me. Help me. I'm going to tell the truth. When a situation comes where you are tempted to tell something less than the truth, anything less than the truth is a lie. But I'm going to make it e more palatable for you. So you want to tell something less than the truth. You need to stop and, and say, Lord, this is an opportunity to practice truth-telling. And the more I practice it, the better I'm going to get at it. And the better I get at it, the better reputation I have. And the better reputation I have, the more community there's going to be around me. People are going to want to be my friends. People are going to want to confide in me because I tell the truth. And so practice truth-telling. we got to get good at, at, at telling each other the truth and having each other's back. Dude, before you take, you, you better take care of that cliffhanger in your nostril before you walk on the platform. I need people around me that tell me that stuff. You got spinach in your teeth. I've got friends around me. I say, if you let me go on the platform with a zipper problem, you are not my friend. I want you to be watching me. I want you to be telling me the truth. Tell me when I say things that are harsh. Tell me, just tell me the truth. You need friends to monitor your social media. I saw a Facebook post a while back where somebody was just spewing about a perceived wrong. I mean, just, just vomiting on Facebook. You've seen that before. Just, and so I went to the comment sections, and, and here's what their friend said. Go, girl. Give it to them. I'm going, where are her truth-telling friends? She's believing a lie that's going to undermine her credibility and it's going to destroy the community that's around her. And her friends are going, go, girl. Come on. Get a grip. <laughs> a friend of mine posted some unkind stuff in a moment of passion. Have you ever done that? I have. Get mad about something. Just a rule of thumb. When your ears are turning red, step back from the computer. Okay? <laughs> step back. Because... You're passionate about something. It may be something good, but you'll say something you don't need to be saying. You need to rest, chill, whatever. So a friend of mine, moment of passion, uh, posted some unkind stuff. And so I saw it, and I thought, well, okay. And the Lord prompted me. He said, are you a friend? Yeah, I'm a friend. You're going to do anything about that. What if he doesn't receive it? It was like the Lord going, what if nobody tells him? 
going to destroy community. It's going to, it already had started to erode his credibility. And then I looked at the, the, or the scripture came to mind, Proverbs 27, verse 6, that says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Now, do you want to know the translation to that? Enemies kiss up, friends tell the truth. So are you a friend or are you an enemy? And so I told him the truth. I privately messaged him. Told him the truth with grace. You got to have truth with grace. How many of you know that? Nobody wants somebody that just tells the truth all the time. You'll be by yourself. Truth with grace. Truth with grace. And you know what? He listened. And his credibility was restored. His credibility was restored. So, how about you? Are you good at truth telling? Are you a friend who kisses or, or who tells the truth or an enemy who just kisses up? Are you ready to raise the white flag online? How many of you are ready to raise the white flag online? And Paul says, stop, say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going to surrender to God. It's not going to be a part of my vocabulary. Do you need to admit that you have a problem? You know, I tend to exaggerate to make myself look better, right? I, I, I've been deceptive. I've told part of the truth, but not the whole truth. Or I tend to break promises, and when I do, it leaves others disappointed. It's lying. Or I've fabricated stuff about others. I've, I've taken half-truths. I've taken things that I didn't know everything about, and maybe I thought I was innocent in it. I was helping people, but I wasn't. It was a fabrication. It was a lie, and I want to admit that. Or some of us may need to say, you know what, I'm hiding something right now. I'm hiding something. It's a bold-faced lie. I'm hiding. Can, can I tell you something about that? Are you ready to ask God for help? See, you, you say, well, 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 if I do, it's going to cause a lot of pain. Can I tell you this? If you get caught, it's going to cause more pain. But if you confess your sin, if you admit, and the Bible says you get a second chance, you get a second chance with God, obviously, but I think that if you'll be honest, that uh, you'll be surprised at how people will receive you. Let's bow for closing prayer. Father, I thank you for the simple, simple message on truth-telling. And uh, God, I pray that your spirit would go to the core of who we are, um, that there would be a, 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 a spirit of transparency and honesty here in this place today. And... Uh, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.